Welcome to WCSU 411, a podcast about interesting people and achievements at Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today I'm talking with Brian Luke Seward in the basement of White Hall here on the Midtown campus. Dr. Seward is going to be on campus on October 18th and uh, talking about his specialty, about uh, medicine and different ways of uh, de-stressing and taking care of yourself. Dr. Seward, who's a native of Glastonbury here in Connecticut, he now spends his time consulting with corporations, lecturing at universities, and working with Olympic athletes, among other things. He does film. He's been a TED Talk uh, presenter. He's appeared on PBS. And I'd like to point out that his first bachelor's degree was in journalism. So was mine. But uh, Dr. Seward, you dumped journalism as fast as you could and became successful and famous, which I think was very smart of you. <laughs> well, actually, I still, I still use my journalism talents for writing, so uh, I just have kind of augmented that into, into other aspects of my life. That was uh, very um, prescient of you. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea at the time what I was doing, but it all worked out well. <laughs> yes, that's good. That Most of us journalism majors don't know what we were doing at the time. <laughs> but I also noticed while I was reading your resume, you basically, your first career was as a PE teacher, phys ed teacher at University of Illinois, where you were earning your master's. Uh, is that what you were thinking at the time, that you'd be in the gym as your career? Well, um, actually, let's go back a step. Mm-hmm. I uh, left uh, Glastonbury to go up to the University of Maine, and I got my uh, degree in journalism. But I also took a second minor in phys ed, which now they call kinesiology. Hmm. And I um, had a really strong interest in working with Olympic athletes. And so I decided to go on for a master's degree in the physiology of exercise. And that took me out to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. But while I was out there, I had a real strong interest working with cardiac rehab patients. Mm -hmm. And so my first job after college really was um, as a director of cardiac rehab at a hospital in Wisconsin. And so um, I learned after a short while that um, as much as I love working with cardiac patients, it was a bit disconcerting that they were somewhere dying, uh, as you know, as, as happens with heart disease. And I, I thought to myself, you know, God, I'm not having the impact I thought I was going to have. So I decided to uh, quickly move out of that after a year into uh, into wellness programming. So um, I, my, you're right, my first job was in, in phys ed when I was in college, uh, teaching that, what I call the country club sports, swimming, tennis, and things like that. But that was actually to, to earn money to get my master's degree in a field which I loved. And it turned out that I did end up working with Olympic athletes. Um, so I've kind of gone the whole spectrum of health from uh, the epitome of, of health and wellness, Olympic caliber athletes, to cardiac patients. And I really feel my my biggest asset right now is in the area of health promotion and wellness as opposed to rehabilitation. There's so much interest in health promotion and wellness right now. Uh, no matter what you label it is, there's everybody's thinking about being healthy, I think. Do you find that? Yeah, I've had an interest in health for a very long time, um, as long as I can remember, actually. Um, I swam in high school and college, and, of course, um, was very much motivated by the Olympics back then. Uh, I think Mark Spitz was my hero back mm. eons ago. Um, but, you know, it's kind of funny. You you um, you can't really have a conversation with somebody in this day and age without some aspect of health coming up in the first five minutes, you know, whether it's chronic pain or, or uh, TMJ or... Um, 
uh, obesity or heart disease, cancer. There's, there's no shortage of problems. Uh, but it seems that, that health definitely enters the conversation, no matter who you're talking to or when or where, uh, very quickly on. And I think it's because it's such a, a very important part of our lives, obviously. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty big value. And if, as they say, when you've got your health, you've got everything. And it seems like so many people today don't have their health and, and are looking to try and regain that back, or at least some part of it. Mm-hmm. And you talk about, or you talk a lot about being healthy in holistic terms. Can you talk about, explain what that is? Yeah, well, um, when I was uh, working in, a, in the hospital in Wisconsin for cardiac rehab, Health was basically looked at in terms of, of disease or the absence of disease. And, you know, I, I don't know whether it's um, my own innate understanding or what I came across along the way, but I realized that there's so much more to, uh, to health than just the physical aspects. When I was in high school in Glastonbury, um, I was introduced to the work of Carl Jung, and uh, I immediately took a liking to him and, and the, the work of psychology that he, uh, the, the body of knowledge he shared with the world. And, um, and I, in fact, the, the, the word psychology actually means the study of the soul. And so to look at health as just something physical never really made sense to me, which is probably why I had a hard time with um, my, my job in cardiac rehab. Although my, I loved it, don't get me wrong, I just thought to myself, God, there's so much more than this. So um, I uh, came out to Colorado to uh, kind of get some fresh air and took a job at the YMCA and noticed that the, um, the logo for the YMCA was Mind, Body, Spirit. And I thought, hey, I think I fit upon something. And then I uh, went back to graduate school to get my, my doctorate in, in a field of study which really hadn't even begun yet. Uh, I was one of the pioneers in, in uh, uh, mind, body, um, health, or health psychology. And I designed my own curriculum into uh, this, this wonderful interrelationship between mind, body, and spirit. Um, we now know, and stress, by the way, has been kind of like a, a part of this all the way along but um, for everyone. But, uh, but it turns out that um, uh, you, every disease has some emotional correlate to it. You, you can't separate mind from body. You can't separate spirit from emotion. So the definition I like best for, um, for holistic wellness is the integration, balance, and harmony of mind, body, spirit, and emotions where the whole is always greater than some of the parts. So you're talking about more than uh, you get sick and you feel uh, anxious about it or stressed about it. You're f- talking about a, uh, the emotional component being um, uh, something that is r- related directly to the uh, illness that you have at the moment. Yeah, you know, and I, I got a real big um, inspiration for my career back in 1981. I got a chance to meet uh, one of my heroes, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's a pioneer for the hospice movement, but uh, really put the idea of death and dying on the map. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I heard her speak at a conference, she wasn't speaking about death and dying. She was there speaking about holistic wellness, this integration, balanced harmony of mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And... I, I knew um, intuitively, as I think a lot of people do, that um, that there's so much more to health and wellness, and so much more to, to disease than just uh, microbes or or bad DNA. And so, um, when I was in, in a swimming in high school and college, and also um, uh, working with Olympic athletes, um, stress plays such a huge role in in performance, plays such a huge role in, in health and well-being. And what I typically say is that. Uh, the, the relationship between stress and disease is colossal. It's everything between the, uh, the common cold to cancer, everything from uh, herpes to hemorrhoids. Mm. And, uh, 
And I think when people begin to take a look at, at um, some of their chronic health issues, it's not hard to see that there's been some episode of, of stress not far in the, in the history that, that corresponds to it. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm really attracted to stories of people who've, who've achieved uh, remarkable success and gone through great turmoil to get there. And I call this a triumph of the human spirit. And uh, uh, there's just a lot of people out there going through some tough times, and I think we need all the motivation we can get. Mm-hmm. Hence the expression, stressed is deserved spell backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you're gonna, the topic of, uh, that you're going to talk about here at Westcott, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I, um, I seem to have a sign on my forehead that says, please tell me your life story and the worse it is, the more I want to hear it. And I, I hear some amazing stories, and they all seem to fall in two categories. They either are victims or victors. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we've all heard the victim story kind of gets old after a while. And I'm really attracted to the stories of, of the victors, the people who've uh, gone through hell gracefully, and uh, and it just amazes me what some people have been through and and how they've come through, just just glowing. And so um, the the presentation I'm going to do at uh, Western Connecticut is a, a collection of stories of people who've been through hell and back and done quite gracefully. And in doing so, they they prove to be great role models and heroes for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've gone through hell and back, and are they? Uh, um, uh, are you talking about people who uh, acknowledged the pain and the problems and dealt with them, or people who um, were crushed by others and then uh, came back? What kind of um, examples are these? Uh, all kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, real quickly, without giving too much away, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I, I met a lot of students in the course of my career in academia, uh, one of whom was a quadriplegic named Andrew. And I'm going to tell a story about how he uses humor to to get through his uh, his uh, tough situation. Another story is, uh, he was in a very bad accident, by the way. Another story is a woman named Nian Ching, who um, has a wonderful book called Life and Death in Shanghai. I had a chance to meet her and, and, and befriend her. Uh, she was in prison for six and a half years in uh, in China during the communist regime of Mao Zedong, uh, falsely accused of being a, a spy. Hmm. And she, at the age of 56, I might add, so she was no spring chicken, um, they ended up killing her daughter and tormenting all other people in her life because they refused to admit she was a spy. Um, some horrible, horrible ordeals people have gone through. Uh, and yet when they come through, there's no signs of resentment. There's no signs of animosity or anger. Uh, they've left it behind and moved on. And, and that's an important lesson in life. You know, I think back to the, the quote from Nelson Mandela who said that when he was free from his prison cell in uh, Robben Island, out in South Africa, he said, I knew that when I walked out of prison, I had to leave my anger behind because if I didn't, I'd be a prisoner the rest of my life. Mm. It makes so much sense, but it's so hard to do, right? Well, it's a skill. Stress management is a skill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it takes a lot of practice. Um, we are works in progress. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's a good way to look at it, They uh, that we all um, are continuously working on improving, right? If we are, have that mindset and that uh, there's dips and uh, high points, but uh, uh, even though you have, you're Nelson Mandela, he had some bad days too after he got out of prison, right? Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. You know, we're all human. Um, if I had to give a, a definition for holistic stress management, what I would say is that it's, it's moving from fear to love. Mm-hmm. And at the risk of sounding kind of uh, new agey here, um, this is what stress management's all about. 
I mean, we can either be caught up in fear or we can move toward some aspect of love and compassion. And uh, all these aspects of, um, of coping with stress, whether it's patience or humor or forgiveness or um, uh, optimism, and, and there's many other ones, these are all what I call colors in love's rainbow. How These are coping techniques. Carl Jung called them spiritual cures. Uh, but these are how we get through the stressor without feeling like a victim. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we are works in progress. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but we're, um, who wants to be stuck in negativity is what I say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, who wants to be stuck in negativity? But even for those who embrace the idea, uh, that's a long path, isn't it, for most people to get to the uh, end? If you've been, um, either you get uh, an illness out of the blue, you don't deserve it, uh, none of us do, but or you get... Um, there's stressors all throughout the rest of the world. Something happens to somebody, bad happens to somebody you love or uh, happens to you at work or, you know, you're out of work or something. It's very difficult to um, be uh, smiley and sunny all the time. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to um, paint a picture that, you know, we're all Pollyannas or delusional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anybody who's been through Hellenbeck will tell you that um, it definitely was a test. Mm-hmm. But everyone who I've met, and even people who I've um, read stories about, have said that at the time they were going through the situation, it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. But as they look back, they realize it was the best thing that ever could have happened to mm-hmm. them. That's very interesting. And that's that's um, some spiritual evolution. That's uh, uh, working on some uh, some conscious emotional change there. Mm-hmm. And you ask how long a struggle it is. Um, there are some who say it's it's as easy as changing your thoughts one thought away mm-hmm. uh, from from uh, a victim to a victor. That takes practice to to ensure that that continues on. But um, I don't think it's impossible. In fact, the people who I've met, and there's many others, there's countless others, everyday heroes who who show us that um, it can be done, and it's not impossible. And are some people, have you found more um, just uh, naturally uh, uh, able to do that or... uh, um and need a well, little I less think it, it doesn't make a difference, you know, if you're American or Chinese or they're mm-hmm. uh, male or female or gay or straight, black or white. Uh, these are human traits, not uh, not specific to one gender or one uh, one race of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're uh, <laughs> as uh, Shakespeare said, the world's a stage. We're all actors, and uh, and what you see is really just a costume. But inside, um, we're all. A spiritual being working on our own evolution mm-hmm. I think the best way to describe it some people start at a little a little bit ahead of the game though don't you find that some people are more naturally calm and um, able to deal with difficulties than some of the rest of us Just well, um, you know I think a lot of it comes down to uh, how we're raised mm-hmm. um, you know I don't normally share my personal story but um, uh, I can do that now. Um, I was raised by two abusive alcoholic parents, mm-hmm. and uh, and I know I'm not alone in that journey. Uh, and so, um, yeah, the first 18 years of my life was was <laughs> mm-hmm. very fear-based. You know, I didn't know if I was going to live to see tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at some point, you realize that um, you can't live like that. You've got to, you got to set yourself free. And so. Um, you know, my parents were wonderful. They had a lot of great things going for them. And when they weren't drinking, they were beautiful people. Uh, so I picked up on some of that, but um, I'm happy to say I didn't pick up on the, the bad behaviors there. But um, I did not have an easy life the first 18 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think that we can all turn things around. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, because well, you see, we see people who go the other direction, right? And it's their, they have abusive alcoholic parents, and it ruins the rest of their life. Yeah, 
I think that can be very true for a lot of people. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, as the expression goes, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or as the joke goes, how many, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? One, but the light bulb has really got to want to change. <laughs> so when you go around, you've dedicated your life, your career, basically, to uh, going around and talking to people all around the world about um, and presenting ideas with uh, the idea that the, the the ones who want to change will change or take them up. Is that right? Yeah, you know, my first book actually is a textbook. It's a college textbook. I'm happy to say it's done very, very well over the past 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, one chapter in that book is on the topic of stress and spirituality. And mm-hmm. spirituality is not religion. It's, it's um, uh, hard to put into a, a, a podcast explanation here, but real simply, it's, it involves relationships, values, and purpose in life to start off with. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, was, uh, I was at a conference giving a presentation, and Naomi Judd of the Judds was in the audience, mm-hmm. and she was very impressed with my presentation, so she called out the publisher for Chicken Soup for the Soul and said, this guy's got a great idea for a book. Call him. So I got a phone call from these people, and you know I didn't even know it was coming, so I was kind of blindsided. And uh, they said, we want to talk to you about working on a book. And so I have a book out called Stand Like Mountain, Flow Like Water, which is basically a layman's version of what's in the textbook, chapter chapter 8 in the textbook. Mm. Uh, and that led to another book and led to another book, and then I got some speaking engagements and asked to do some corporate retreats and some corporate presentations. And so um, what I discovered with all this is that everyone's got stress. doesn't make a difference if you're a middle school or you're a senior citizen, a corporate executive, um, a nurse. A priest does make a difference. Everyone's got stress. So, um, yeah, so I've kind of, my, my life purpose I've, I've uh, made for the past, I don't know, 40-some years or so is, is to uh, share what I've learned along the way and to help others who are interested in trying to, uh, to make that shift from fear to love, love and compassion. Do most of the people you see or who come to your, um, who come in contact with you, are they those who want to make that shift or do you get some pushback sometimes too from people who talked, as you said, about the, uh, you know, the hippy-dippy kind of um, stuff? No, I'm happy to say it's pretty much all self-selected. People who come uh, definitely want some help. Um, and I think, you know, that's pretty much the, the way for most people when they, uh, when they, they realize um, that they, life's not going the way they want it, they want to do a course correction, whether it's something simple or something they hit rock bottom and are making a major change. Um, you know, we all go through uh, changes, and change is often described as another word for stress. And so in terms of that, um, uh, sometimes we can weather the storm easily. Sometimes we need help. And uh, what I often say when I give presentations on stress is that everything I'm going to say you've already heard before because it's all common sense. But when people get stressed, common sense is not too common. So it's nice to have a refresher. It's nice to have a review of things which we know. And also the skills for stress management – those um, a lot of people don't know. You might think that we all know how to breathe, but but um, <laughs> to, to quote Sting uh, from the, the group, the police, he goes, Americans don't know how to breathe. <laughs> we're, we're thoracic breathers as opposed to belly breathers or abdominal breathers. So we yeah. we're, we're, we hold our tension in our chest as we breathe, and you know, God, that's no way to live. Right. Boy, that's very interesting. The um, I didn't know Sting was into that. The, yeah, uh, he's a, he's a, a very enlightened soul, and if you listen to some of the lyrics of his songs, you think like that. <laughs> this guy's putting out messages there at all levels. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, listen to that again. 
so, By the way, mm-hmm. um, Sting it was it was Carl Young, not Sting, who coined the word synchronicity. But uh, but a lot of people think it was Sting because he came out with the song. But Carl was was decades ahead of him. But but Sting is no stranger to the works of Carl Young. Yeah, that's very Pretty interesting. Cool, huh? Yeah, it is cool. So you must feel good about being able to talk to a lot of people regularly and help them improve their lives. Yeah, it's it's very rewarding. Um, I've had a lot of help along the way, and I feel it's incumbent to, to turn the tables and, as they say, pay it forward. So, uh, so I don't... Um, um, have you know thousands and thousands of people write me letters and such, but every now and then I get a phone call, an email, or or something that's telling me that uh, someone's life just turned around. And uh, the one guy who actually um, comes to mind right now is uh, here in Colorado, but he moved to Florida, and he was having some marital problems. He was having uh, some health issues, some uh, some weight problems, and he he wrote to me. I guess after taking some messages, uh, some parts of what I said to heart. And he wrote to me and said that he and his wife um, now have their first baby, mm. and he credited me, which I can't take the credit, but I'll, I'll uh, join in the celebration of it. <laughs> but that's pretty cool when you hear something like that. that or, is very you know, a nice. college student who looks me up after 20 years of, uh, of uh, the grades already being passed in and saying that, you know, your course, um, I, I live with the material every day, and this course changed my life. And it's always nice to hear. And finding meaning is one of those things that we're all seeking, right? Finding meaning in our lives and trying to make um, sense of what we're doing and feeling like we're important here, right? Uh, finding meaning in life is the cornerstone of, uh, of the, the spiritual journey. Um, every wisdom keeper, every, every mystic, every healer, uh, every, <laughs> every, uh, every person who's... Um, has the experience to share this will tell you, you know, whether it's Einstein or Carl Jung or uh, I could throw out a million names here, but, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say that, that this is truly what, what life is all about, trying to find a purposeful meaning in life and then fulfilling that. And, you know, the, the, the interesting part about that is, is that our meaning is going to change over the course of our lives. You know, when we're, when we're 13, 14, our meaning is very different than when it's 25 and very different than when we're 60. So there's periods of sometimes what they call existential vacuum in between those those periods of meaning. Like, for instance, when someone, um, when I worked with the Olympic athletes, uh, some of the athletes who, when they got done with the Olympics, uh, would go into a depression because their whole life was geared toward one thing, an Olympic medal. Mm-hmm. And then once they realized their career was over, um, it was a bit disconcerting until they found another thing to do, another another way in which to fulfill their purpose, which may be coaching or some people kind of got out of athletics altogether. But but uh, it could, the same thing could be said for, for empty nesters when you know, both parents look at each other when the last child's gone off to college and said, says, who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> so, um, so we need to continually uh, cultivate our purpose in life. And what, uh, at some point we may fulfill that and then go on to a new purpose. And in our especially modern lives where we're bombarded with uh, images from our everywhere around the world. There's so many famous people in our lives. And some uh, times we, um, I think people, general people uh, uh, think, well, I'm not successful because I'm not famous. Either I'm not one of the Kardashians, I'm not the president of the United States or mm, whatever. Uh, Do you deal with people like that or give them advice? Um, 
Well, I suppose um, not in so many words, but but I, I think that um, the millennials I've, I've heard definitely um, are more geared toward trying to, to seek fame and fortune and stuff, or, or at least touch it. Um, but you know, it's funny. I have um, a fair number of colleagues who I would say might be at the pinnacle of, of that that uh, pyramid, if you will, and they'll tell you that it's a pretty shallow victory. <laughs> so it's like once you achieve that, it's like, well, this wasn't really what I thought it was. Let's find something more meaningful. Hmm. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, well, that what that really comes down to is, is um, what stress really comes down to, and that is uh, ego. Mm. And not to say that, you know, we, we don't want to try and make the world a better place, but if all we're doing is try and get our name out there, then um, that's, that's ego-based uh, fulfillment, and that's not really, uh, it's, it's pretty shallow. So, um, um, yeah, I, I, I think the biggest thing I don't hear when I hear other people talk about stress management is how to uh, do what I do is called uh, domesticate the ego. Where there is stress, where there is chronic stress, there is ego. There is a control drama. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. I, I definitely talk about that. One reason why they don't talk about it is the ego is very abstract. It's kind of, you know, you can't really pin it down. Where, where is it in the body? Uh, yeah, everyone would agree. We all have one. And I won't mention any names, but there seem to be some people in the news who epitomize the idea of the ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and this is the real challenge is how do we... How do we use the ego for what it was intended? The ego is the bodyguard, and uh, it's supposed to be the bodyguard, not the CEO. So when it has um, visions of grandeur or grandiose uh, um, ideals of, of fame and fortune, um, you know, that, that's, that's definitely a, a, a recipe for stress. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And I th- uh, just personally, uh, 11 years ago, I was laid off from my journalism job, and the toughest thing was... My ego. It took a couple of years to um, let that go, and as you say, uh, realize that that was the best thing uh, they could have done for me. Because, as you know, eleven years ago, the journalism uh, business was just starting to aim toward Earth and uh, has now cratered into the ground. And I wouldn't be in it anyway. So it was the transition was actually much better than than it would be now. journalism or, or, I mean, we're seeing such a change in so many aspects of our culture, the music industry, the, uh, the media industry, the banking industry. I mean, all of these things are going through revolutionary changes right now. And we're going to see um, a lot of people who are beginning to question, you know, what, what do I do? You know, how do I, how do I make a living? How do I, uh, how do I survive? And, um, and I think that those are important questions to ask, but not to be stuck in. And, and by and large, um, uh, as people work through that, they come to uh, the realization that there was something better waiting for them. They just had to let go. Right. The transition's tough, though, right? Yeah, the transition can be definitely tough. Um, <laughs> Joseph Campbell, who I'm a real big fan of, who, by the way, was also a fan of Carl Jung, talked about this thing called the hero's journey. And uh, the hero's journey is a, is a template for all of our lives, because whether you're male or female, we are all, are all heroes. Uh, go on this journey. He said the ultimate uh, uh, aspect of the hero's journey, the uh, the initiation process, he called this for us to face our own death. Hmm. And I didn't mean death in a physical sense, but the death of, of who we are. So uh, we may have been a journalist, 
that period comes to a close, and, and we could say that that dies, and then we have to reinvent ourselves. And that's the expression I'm hearing a lot right now is, is how to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. I also hear from a lot of people is you know, how to make yourself uh, uh, viable or, or uh, important in the world today, because I think we're coming to the realization that there are a lot of people on the planet, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. I think we're approaching 8 uh, billion so how do you make yourself relevant? Mm-hmm. And the answer is uh, easy. We, you know, it's we, we are here for a purpose, and that's for each other, for the cultivation of, of uh, our spiritual growth, for love and compassion. Um, but uh, the same token, we got to put food on the table too. So yeah. it's a balancing act. I think you're going to have a lot of people at this um, uh, seminar that you give. Now, what do you you have a lot of long term um, guidance and advice? Do you have do you give people who come to your lectures any short term uh, advice? Things they can walk out of the um, walk out of the auditorium with and just feel less stress uh, today. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're talking about humor. I'm a real big fan of humor. Hmm. Um, Meditation is very important, uh, no matter what you call it. Um, some people are really into mindfulness right now. That definitely is important. Um, uh, forgiveness is a big thing. Uh, patience is a big thing. So these are all skills that uh, are uh, are we, we should be using on a daily basis. <laughs> and uh, Lord knows we're put to the test on a daily basis. So. Um, uh, I'm a real big fan of sense of humor. Uh, of course, I I, uh, I taught a class in that at the American University. I taught for a number of years. After here's my, the rest of my uh, career path. After I went to University of Maryland and got my PhD there, I ended up being a uh, sports psychologist for the Olympic, Olympic biathlon team, and then that that turned into working with Olympic swimmers, Olympic ice skaters, and some other athletes in the Olympic uh, arena there. And then um, I went. Uh, 1988, I left uh, Vermont, which is where I was, to come back down to uh, to D.C. and took a job for five years on the faculty of the American University, and I taught stress management classes there. Um, and and so, um, uh, and then in 1993, I left to come back to Colorado here, and uh, <laughs> I've called this home ever since. I forgot where I was going with this question, but talking about uh, <laughs> someone that was an answer there. <laughs> talking about what you uh, some quick takeaways for stress that you're going to give oh, your oh, audience. Yeah, yeah. So humor, <laughs> humor is um, uh, a very important part of uh, of life, and, and uh, I don't think we laugh enough. So mm-hmm. hopefully, we'll get some good laughs when I'm out there in a couple of weeks too. I think I'm going to invite everybody I work with here at uh, the university to come to the seminar. We need it here. Yeah, come on out, come on out. Um, I also want to give a shout out to uh, to Crystal. I'm a real big fan of hers, and thanks thank her for uh, making sure that uh, this all came to be. So she's a she's a dynamo and definitely a big advocate for holistic wellness. So thanks, Crystal. Yep, Crystal Arturi, who works here in our health promotion and exercise science program, and is the director of Westcon's Institute for Holistic Health Studies. And uh, you're right, doesn't get enough credit for everything that she does. But she did connect the two of us and uh, make this uh, podcast happen. So um, I thank her. And Brian, I thank you. I'm going to ask everybody to come out on October 18th at 730 at Ives Auditorium, which is here on our Midtown campus. Uh, You do need to buy tickets. They're $15. You can reserve them at wcsu.edu slash tickets. And uh, come out and hear this great presentation by Brian Luke Seward, who um, will make you feel better after you hear him.
Is that right? It sure will. You'll walk out like you're on cloud nine. and uh, That's a nice place to be. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Hey, thank you. I look forward to seeing you in a few short weeks. And uh, thanks to everybody out in uh, Connecticut. I look forward to coming back home again in a few short weeks. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. We'll see you then. <laughs> thanks, Paul. See ya. Mm, bye-bye. Hi, Barbara. How's it going in um, your life today? Pretty well. Thank you. How about you? Good. You had a good weekend on homecoming weekend? Yes, definitely. It was really a great weekend, Um, especially the street fair and the homecoming game was just so fun. Uh, The SGA handed out like the full thousand shirts, which was insane because there were so many people there compared to last year. We only ordered 800 last year and none of them, like a few of them didn't go. So it was incredible to see all of the shirts go. Um, and we also won, the football team won. They crushed the other yeah, team. Yeah, it was, it was really fun to watch. Um, I also went into the alumni pavilion for a little bit. There was live music and um, crepes and everything. It was really great. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, and obviously all the clubs with their tables and all of the, those kinds of events. Um, you could like orchestrate the choir, like, you know, <laughs> it was so cool, very fun. That is cool. No, our listeners can't see that you were directing the choir with oh, your hands there. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> <laughs> and did you take the hammer to the sledgehammer to the car? Oh, I did, actually. I <laughs> thought it was so crazy. It was only a dollar. You pay a dollar and you can do as many swings as you want. <laughs> as many swings as you want. Yeah. And so you did some damage to the car? Yeah, I came towards the end, though. So it was kind of already <laughs> pretty beaten <laughs> already up. Already a mess. Very fun. That's good. And, you know, the women's soccer team played before a football team and they're still undefeated. They tied again. Second game in a row. Wow. In double overtime. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do we have coming up this week? Um, well, uh, Wednesday, October 11th, we have um, Pac is bringing Eric Mina um, to campus. Uh, he's a comedian and hypnotist and he'll perform at 8 p.m. in Ives Concert Hall in, in Ives Concert Hall. Are you going to that? Um I'm not because I'm working, but uh-huh. I wish I was. He comes every year, I think, um, and it's usually like a really good success. Mm-hmm. So um, we also have, obviously, uh, Tiesto, another big thing that we're um, trying to push on students because he's really um, an excellent performer. That's November 11th in the O'Neill Center, and it's from 7 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. Uh, we've been posting like fun facts of him on Instagram and everything, and he's actually the second best paid performer, wow. um, best paid um, DJ of 2017. So it's really great that we have him on campus this year. Hey, do you think you could reach out to him and get him to come here and be interviewed on a podcast with us? That would be insane. Um, I'll definitely try that. That's, that would be really cool. <laughs> he can call in. We can do it that yeah, way. Yeah, I'll definitely um, talk to you know John. And <laughs> That'll be the highest rated podcast ever uh, uh, um, from Westcon. Yeah, hopefully we could do that. That'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's $23 for students and 43 for guests. Good. And then lastly, there's um, on October 17th, there's the student production of Rosencrantz and Guildstern are dead in the Studio Theater of the Visual Performing and Arts Center um, on the Westside campus. Um, it'll be at 7 p.m. on October 17th, um, which is a student preview night. And then October 19th um, is a high school night, and then it continues on. Hmm. So our student uh, theater is always excellent yeah. and award-winning, so that'll be good. Yeah, very excited for that. How about the uh, apple cider crushing? Are you going to that on October 6th, uh, 17th? Um, yeah, I actually, um, yeah, I definitely might go to that. Uh, it seems really cool. The students are going to grind up apples and make fresh apple cider. Um, so That's part of a class, right? A biology class. And the public's invited, too. 
Yeah. It's one of the ways our students benefit the community. Yeah, I've, I've never made fresh apple cider, so that should be fun. Yeah, I guess I haven't either. I've drank it, but I haven't uh, made it myself. Yeah. Cool. All right, so we'll be back next week with more events. Paul Steinmetz and Barbara Villegas, and we're looking forward to it, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, thanks, Barbara. Thank you. I'd like to thank our producers, Scott Volpe and Pete Puccio. They make this podcast happen. Please follow us on iTunes at WCSU Media. You can also find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Leave a comment. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WCSU411. We'd love to hear from you. Say nice things about me. It's Scott Volpe if you have something nasty to say. It's V-O-L-P-E. Otherwise, we'll see you back here next week with Barbara Villegas and me. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and we'll have another rundown of events and another interview with an interesting person at Western Connecticut State University.